Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. On today's episode, we'll talk about game theory inherent to the recent protesting around the George Floyd murder. Uh, game theory is the general study of exploiting rules to either maximize or minimize a potential outcome. So the first part will be game theory as uh, seen through the eyes of the protesters. And, and what does that mean? And how do they maximize sort of their outcomes? And if we think about it as the reason why everybody joined the streets and why the, the protest broke out was that we saw a police officer murder uh, multiple, multiple police officers police officer. and watch someone be murdered, basically, and were complicit. And the protest hits the streets because this violence is, is daily. You know, there's a catalyst that comes off, which is a murder, but there are other problems that happen every day, right? There's injustices that happen, there's shakedowns, there's, you know, turning their backs, other crimes, there's lots of things that happen daily. So the protesters find that the catalyst can come out and collectively begin to fight. And the question is, with game theory, what are they trying to gain? How do they maximize their outcome? And so if you if you think about an individual they don't really have a voice or power in everyday transactions with the police officers or even with the city. And there's this idea that using electoralism, they can, they can get that voice through elections or some other means by participating. But what they've seen and what we've all seen is that in that context, uh, the individual loses. And so collectively they come together and they fight. And so one of the outcomes is they can show and maximize their outcome of, of basically saying the police are corrupt and need to be fixed. And they join together and they fight with one voice. And with that, uh, they can, you know, begin to talk amongst each other and begin to talk amongst the streets and show other owners and people that are around them and basically formulate uh, what would not have been able to be formulated before uh, in a giant group and have almost like a list of demands, right? And, and the news comes. And from the eyes of the protesters, this is great because now they can come together and actually all have their grievances. It's a, it's a more efficient utilization of resources. Uh, so in talking about a single individual, uh, let's just say there's some generic task like painting a house. Uh, painting a house requires, uh, let's say, a thousand brush strokes. You get one individual, they go up and they paint one brush stroke, then they come back and do it again. Over time, it takes forever. The message is kind of lost. You see that house gradually painted over time. Uh, in the context of a protest, you get a, a thousand people together. They do one stroke. House is done instantly. So it's a it's a much harder transition between the absence of protesting and protesting. It's not a gradual transition that occurs. It's a hard cutoff of this was happening or was not happening, and now it is happening. And that's pretty much unmistakable from an outside observer, which is the intent uh, of attempting to make a point as a protester, as an individual, but as a collective group, uh, it also serves a purpose and it utilizes resources better. And, and that's like, if, you, if you're coming into this without understanding game theory and, and understanding individualism, it's the idea that um, together we can win and, and apart we get we, we lose. And again, we, we, we talk about this and we think we talked about last time in, in game theory that we're trying to maximize the best potential for what we have. And so 
the other thing that this this one stroke does and this this basically this power that comes to the voice the gradual change like you're saying in the the house is there's not multiple coats that go on you're not priming it you're not going through and you're gonna and scrape it down and try to change it you are actually asking for an immediate change to the system because you have the power to do that and that's where the maximization comes is not only do you have a collective voice and you show the power but you also have the momentum to carry through a step change a massive step change and we see that already in sort of the news that's going around with Minneapolis. We saw that their attorney general in uh, Minnesota was appointed to the special prosecution. We're seeing that the Minnesota Department of or Police Department has sort of been pulled to the side and not really engaging anything. Uh, and we're seeing the governor taking this seriously, which means that it's working. And through this massive protests and getting out on the streets, we're actually seeing that the game theory in this position works because in the long haul, Carrying on protests for months and weeks and years, uh, I guess it's weeks, months and years, uh, pulls everybody down and it degrades your energy over time. But having a week of protests and strong outrage, disrupting the flow of capital. So we're talking about just, you know, worker con- consciousness, the flowing the, or messing with the flow of capital in the streets of Minnesota, Minneapolis, means that you are now showing them what the true power is, which is spending. Yeah, and if you were to think about it, if this general effort were to, to be dispersed over some longer period of time, I don't think people would care. And we've clearly seen that people have cared. Uh, the largest ever National Guard force got recalled to Minnesota, uh, effectively larger than anything that uh, was called up for the Iraq or Afghanistan garbage. Um I think this is the largest recall since World War II to put some of this into context as to how many people were protesting and what the state response was to maintain this concept of order or safety, uh, depending on kind of what your point of view is with respect to the specific. Yeah, Minneapolis we'll, we'll cover that, the safety portion through the eyes of protesters. So they're on the streets protesting because something isn't quite right with the idea of safety because the idea of safety for the community that's protesting is the safety of walking down the street and not being murdered for an alleged crime for not being stereotyped. Right. for not being, you know, constantly abused and mishandled for not being abused from capital for capitalists from, from not for no reason. Yeah. For no, for an alleged very benign crime, which was allegedly counterfeiting a $20 bill, which is probably a direct result of capitalism creating a situation in which an individual could not get the food they needed during a pandemic. And, and that leads us into the next part, which is looking through game theory in the eyes of the rioters. And we'll, we'll, we'll first focus on the ones that are aligned, the rioters that are um, aligned to the ideology of the protest. And if we look through the idea, the eyes of the, again, the protesters, it, it's this anti-police abuse. And, and it turned into basically an anti-capitalist, you know, struggle at that point in time. The rioters that began to loot the target, allegedly the target wouldn't sell them um, milk and things to help out with the pepper spray and the tear gas that the police were using against them. So it turned into sort of an anger that the establishment, the establishment these people have to shop with every day. To get their groceries, the same establishment that won't hire them, but demand that they come shop there. 
wouldn't support them. And from that point of view, from the game theory point of view, how do you maximize sort of the the context or the destruction at one point in time? You hit all the establishments that have been abusive to you. And you try to take down that power cycle, the power itself that is what's holding you back. That's funding the police. That's funding private property protections. That's charging you excessive wages or excessive rents. Sorry. That's not employing you. And that's. Because nobody's right. charged excessive not wages. That's right. It's not a thing. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, and basically low wages, right? Holding you down in, in your area by promising you some, some subpar uh, wage that you can't even afford to use to rent. But the way that the neoliberals set up the society and the system, you have to have a job to, to sustain your life. And so you're forced into basically indentured servitude. And that leads to basically uh, untapped capitalist hatred. And you see that through that ideology there. They're not, they're not really, there's some people saying it, but most of the protesters are not saying they're anti-capitalist. But the rioters that are targeting hitting the, the for sale buildings or the, the capitalist buildings are doing it out of anger for that, for that part of society. So if we look at the target incident as a completely hypothetical example where uh, suppose I'm an individual and I just got tear gas in my eye and it really, really hurts. And I go to a place to buy something like milk, which will neutralize it to some degree. And just hypothetically, they don't sell it to me. Whether this actually occurred or not, I have no idea. It's not really relevant. But so my eyes hurt. I want to buy milk. I want to pour it in my eyes so it hurts less. And I am not given the capability or the opportunity to exchange my money for milk to help me. In that scenario, uh, this hypothetical individual then made the decision to steal the milk because it posed some direct you know, injury to them by not having it. And then hypothetically, this kind of opened the door to, well, if I can steal milk, I can steal a TV, I can steal whatever. Uh, so from a certain corporate point of view, was charging somebody for milk the correct theory in the context of game theory? Probably not, given that Target has closed down pretty much every store in Minneapolis and a bunch of stores elsewhere. And for whatever reason, protesters in other states are explicitly going after Target's as kind of a copycat thing, I guess. So all these economic concepts are rooted in game theory uh, with regard to if I do X, what can I expect my outcome to be? So some individual, some hypothetical individual at Target, because again, we don't know if this actually happened, made a decision not to sell milk, which is what, three, four, five dollars, depending on how big of a whatever container they were buying, uh, whether the cow had to walk uphill or look at the sun, if it was organic or not. And this kind of benign decision over some very little monetary value caused an entire Target store to get looted, caused damage to Target the corporate being because a number of other stores were also closed subsequently, and kind of kicked off the realization that as a protesting entity, nobody was going to stop looting. There is fundamentally too many people for the police to stop. 
because the only reason the police have power, and we won't go into this too much, uh, in, is that you believe that they have the power to stop you. And as soon as they lose that control and that grip, they no longer can ask you to stop what you're doing because they have to force you to do it. And if they're outnumbered 101, there's no way that one individual on the police side is going to be able to stop 100 people on the other side, which is why you see that giant activation of the National Guard, of the military police, and the president attempting to use a law that was invoked in 1807 uh, in order to try to get the government to allow him uh, access to troops to stop the rioting and the protesting across the entire country. So if you're, let's say, a looter or a rioter and your sole interest is to cause harm, using the protests as cover to cause harm uh, is sort of a viable option where uh, it's kind of a strategic, I want to do X, but I can blame it on Y. And so with some of the entities that were burned, like post offices and libraries, uh, there's not really a coherent ideology associated with those structures other than sort of anti-government. So the distinction between burning a, uh, a Wells Fargo, for example, and burning a library or a post office, the culmination of those three buildings do not kind of incur a consistent ideology. So, you know, a conclusion can be made that there were perhaps different segments of rioters causing damage associated with their specified ideology. And then we kind of thirdly have the the burning of the third precinct building, which uh, on its surface, and we don't really know who actually burned it, um, but that is more kind of a intuitive direct correlation between, okay, the cops that murdered this individual worked at that precinct. So if we burn that precinct, that sort of sends a message that we're not okay with this. Uh, So you kind of have those three different burning of building kind of nodes. And you can look at this and just say it's all random Um, Or perhaps you can look at it and say there's three different entities that are sort of playing the the game to optimize whatever their intended outcome is. Yeah, because during this chaos right now, all eyes are turned to the peaceful protesters to call them violent. So if you are a anti-government right wing individual, this is a perfect time for you to go out and burn associated buildings and make it appear that the rioters just pissed off at everything. Everything's going to burn, but it doesn't make any sense from a game theory point of view for the people that are mad at the Capitol and mad at the police station or the police to burn institutions that are good to them, like the mail uh, or the post office in the library. It also, even small businesses, yes, it doesn't make any sense to burn or down even the small businesses that they own place or the, the bar you sit at or the liquor store. I mean, maybe loot it, um, but not burn it to the ground, especially when there's there's houses nearby. It does make sense in that same context for rioters, and I'm not condoning any violence, to go out and destroy the police car because that's where the anger is. But it doesn't make sense for them to go out and destroy other public or private, I'm sorry, other private property, other people's cars or other people's houses because that's not the ideology they're fighting against. They're not fighting their own neighborhoods. And so there has to be a distinction between when someone says that they're fighting and destroying their own community 
and you say, well, their community is the homes and the houses and the people. The community is not the businesses. Whereas the individuals that are out burning the, the governments are doing it because they are trying to maximize the potential for damage on their end with minimizing their potential to get caught. And then you're seeing now the, the need to, to distinguish between the two because a lot of chaos will come in if you start charging individuals who had nothing to do with those crimes with those crimes, especially if there's out-of-state actors or out-of-state areas or whatever you want to call them or people from other districts coming in to, to basically take advantage through game theory to maximize their outcome. And again, if you think about purely from the, the risk management point of view, these individuals who would never have hit these buildings during peaceful times now had the opportunity to. So something they've been planning for years can now take place. Yeah. And there's very little risk. Uh, and it, it also creates this kind of puzzling narrative that also uh, leads to ambiguity. So you have a bunch of protesters and there's, you know, tens of thousands and buildings are being burned. So nebulously the protesters get blamed uh and then there's this attempt to say oh well there's they're bad actors they're out of state there's just a lot of muffled messaging uh with not a lot of hard information about who's actually doing anything and so that very concept also creates confusion which kind of furthers the message if your goal is to spread chaos so by creating chaos you sort of create additional chaos and having people trying to identify and, and who's the, and, causing the original chaos. The state itself is blind to what's going on in the streets because they're not part of that movement. Just like the protesters are blind to what the state's planning on doing, the state is blind to what the protesters are planning on doing, and the and the arsonists and the rioters. And so you have this narrative in which everybody's viewing the whole world through very, very small sort of holes, right? Very, very like, I don't know, with blinders on. Because they can only see their piece of the puzzle. And so you're hearing a lot of conflicting things in the news and other places because all the information is not shared amongst every group. And, and for good reason, because each group is independent of one another. And every group is acting in their own best interest. Which is, again, that game theory you know, point of view. Yeah, so the, the protesters are seeking to uh, achieve whatever their desired outcome is. Uh, the, the rioters, the looters, the arsonists are attempting to achieve their outcome. The the state legal apparatus is attempting to achieve their outcome. And all these outcomes right. are in some manner kind of diametrically opposed to each other. Uh, and I mean, yes, there's overlapping. And that's kind of where the, the advantages, the market efficiencies, if you will, kind of come into play where the rioters and protesters are sort of implicitly working together and they're not consenting and working together, but their kind of objectives overlap and there's a mutual benefit that isn't overtly intended. Uh, and then you have the, you know, from the law enforcement angle, you have, there's a clear intent to, to bring in the national guard, bring in the state patrol to prevent arson from happening, which sort of diametrically opposes the, the arsonists. And then at the same time, there's an intent to sort of sideline the Minneapolis Police Department because that could create angst with the protesters. And so there's there's all these competing objectives that are happening simultaneously. Uh, the state law enforcement apparatus then collectively has this desire to prevent the burning of everything. And they simultaneously have a scarcity of resources in a manner that's similar to the protesters. So... The first couple nights of the the rioting and the fires, 
uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The police, the state patrol, the National Guard have limited resources. Uh, I believe uh, Governor Wall said something along the lines of, there's oh, more of us than there are, there are of them. Yep. There are more of them than there are of us uh, with regard to how many, you know, how many law enforcement entities there were versus the number of protesters. And I mean, that's a, that's a ramification of the protesters taking advantage of this game theory and saying, well, if we all show up right now, there's more of us than there is. And in the context of most society, that's the way it is, right? You don't need, you know, a hundred thousand police for a hundred thousand civilians because there's not the chaos. And so from the state's point of view, to try to bring resources up and to, to gather, you know, the intelligence they need and to formulate a plan is not um, instantaneous because they did not do a systems or a scenario planning for a riot based on the murder of a person from police hands. And the reaction is going to happen from the, the group. Now, they may have uh, plans in place. What happens if there's a natural disaster here or there is rioting? But this this culmination was large. And there was nothing they could have done to plan this. I mean, we were talking about taking an entire police force and sidelining them and then bringing in sheriffs from counties away, which now limits the amount of resources in other areas. And it leads to the uh, inability or the inability of these people to rest and to get fatigued. Now, we are not on the side of the state, nor are we on the side of the police in this in this podcast. Um, but what we're getting at is is from their point of view the first few nights of chaos, it was their planning. And then they have to come in in days four and five now, and you've seen that and, and, and the rhetoric has changed to bring that chaos back in because they are trying to prevent prior property destruction. Not just not the pain and suffering of human beings that are mad and angry, but they're trying to um, prevent the capitalist class from getting mad at them for letting things burn. And that's... And there's also some there's also some legitimate concern too about actual public safety where you have gas stations are on fire next to urgent care centers, uh, next to apartments, next to uh, places where um, pregnant women are kind of preparing to give birth. So there there's some like legitimate health concerns that the law enforcement entities, I think, correctly sort of prioritized as being important to safeguard. Uh, and this kind of goes back as well to the protesters intent of if they're interested in being peaceful and then the national guard law enforcement imposes a curfew. Um, it's sort of simultaneously in their best interest to obey the curfew because it allows the bad actors to be targeted, which could change the narrative. Um, but it's also not in their best interest to obey the curfew because then this kind of concept of civil disobedience and raising the, Kind of public relations specter of we're going to paint this house really right and, quick and, and to curse be fair to the protesters the the amount of action that took place when the agitators kicked in was beneficial to them and they're mutually beneficial on both ends because the amount of protesters gave cover to the agitators the agitators gave cover to the protesters and it also gave when that's the unintended consequence the cover to the the other side that wants to take advantage of the chaos. So now the state has to simultaneously fight both entities of chaos, which they're not equipped to do. And so you've seen things like, and to go back to that discussion about protecting certain 
buildings, right? They, the gas station on fire is insane. Who would want to burn down a gas station unless you're trying to make a point of something? And so the question then is, how do the fire department handle this? How do you keep the people whose job it is to put out fires safe at a time when everything's on fire and it's spreading towards hospitals and in other, you know, prior properties that are like human, like houses, like public houses. And, th- and that's where the state has to balance to their eyes, uh, the balance between cracking down and going to a full out war, basically, with the protesters and maintaining some level of peace in order to be able to move through the streets and put out fires as they come up. Because a full-scale lockdown would mean that the police would have to advocate for more violence. The state would have to allow that, and then they'd have to basically fight on multiple fronts continuously while burning up all the resources. And that's why for the first few nights of this, this the protesting and the nighttime rioting, the police were basically at a standstill and pulled back because there was nothing they could do if they wanted to make sure this didn't do a full-fledged chaos that would have resulted in much more damage and, and potentially loss of life. Yeah, so the the state entities made a conscious decision to seed certain yep. areas. Uh, I think mainly the police station of the third precinct, uh, while allocating resources to defend uh, other territory. Um, we don't really exactly know what territory they were defending, um, but I mean, just thinking about it from a, they're probably defending the capital. There's probably power station. There's there's bridges. There's federal buildings. Uh, you know, take your pick at some wide collection of potential targets. Um, they're very clearly interested in protecting those given they have finite resources. And if that means that a bill, you know, a brick building burns down, um, that's not a terrible uh, sort of trade-off from an economic game theory perspective for them. So it, it, it's very likely that there was an intentional decision by the, the state kind of actors to, uh, I think it was Wednesday where the, Wednesday or Tuesday where the the third precinct burned. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a very direct building. Uh, you let it burn. Everybody occupies that single space. Um, it's one building. Uh, it doesn't spread. The chaos doesn't multiply. Um, yeah. From a and, and state talking angle, about institutions are important and we can argue back and forth about capitalism. The idea that we have the material conditions state that, you know, we have to engage in capitalism means that, Things like uh, maintaining a grocery store, grocery store chains uh, to provide food for the area is important. Things like uh, gas stations are important, the hospitals, maintaining the histories in museums and in, in libraries, uh, maintaining fire departments in other areas. Right? There's a whole list of things you have to maintain. News and, and other media has to be maintained. Uh, light rail and other type of transportations have to make sure the city can keep going. But at the same time, that has to be balanced with the needs of the people that are living there which is not always aligned. The needs of the people there are safety and security, but not in the way that are currently being, you know, uh, portrayed. You know, the, the, the burning of the third precinct was symbolic because the individuals burning that do not find the safety in that building standing anymore, which is actually a very interesting question about whether or not it was designed to wedge the community apart, whether or not the burning of the third, uh, made it sort of basically conflicting between those that viewed the third precinct to be a symbol of hate and those that saw the third precinct to be a symbol of security and safety. Yeah. And I, I, I think the burning of the precinct, um, 
I think most people in Minneapolis uh, are probably of the like mind that the, Min uh, the Minneapolis Police Department is not necessarily uh, a force for consistent good. And I think a lot of people would be willing to take their chances without, with the absence of police. And uh, you've kind of seen that in, in recent days, people that own properties along Lake Street have been defending their own stores. Um, there's been absolutely no violence as, as part of this. Zero fatalities. Basically zero hospitalizations. Um, I, I can't speak to the number of hospitalizations authoritatively. Um, but to my knowledge, nobody has been seriously injured or maimed. Uh, there have been no fatalities. Uh, so in the absence of a basically a occupying force that is the Minneapolis police department, the local community has not been negatively impacted, which probably leads to a position that hey, you're safer without the police is and, and this is, thing. I think the point of the protests, which is that the current, the current structures, the cur current constructs of policing are not in the best interest of the civilians that are there, the citizens that they're too often the, the victims of the police and not necessarily, you know, benefiting from. And it's a very interesting tell when you see that the community bands together and protects itself uh, instead of relying on the group of people that they were you know, told were there to protect them. Yeah, when, the, when any community starts destroying and then replacing institutions that previously had authority uh that's step changes in essence it's change looking for how, do, how does the institution benefit us and it goes back to game theory it, it, what's the benefit what am i going to get out of this and is it worth something i want to deal with and, and in the end if it's something you shouldn't deal with if it's economically against you if it's politically against you if it's if it's physically against you or the violence is too much if they're protecting the the, the needs of the private companies and not the needs of the people Right. Because, again, this is about fraud. So uh, a gentleman was murdered. George was murdered because of uh, alleged fraud against a for profit institution. And so you saw the police coming to protect this institution and protect the exchange of capital uh, in order to make sure that the institution stands, that this that this for profit stands. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.